we've been in a series in Malachi, and uh, we're going to do a, a brief review, and then we'll pray and we'll launch into it. So let's take a look at where we've been. Take your Bibles or your phone or whatever you use. And last week we ended with the chapter 2 and verse 17. It says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. But wearied means worn him out, right? Just tired, exhausted. But you say, well, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? So there's these two questions that they are throwing out there. And uh, Malachi is trying to course correct that. He's saying, They've gotten things so turned around that what they were saying is really it's the wicked who prosper and, and then they were envying and coveting that for them getting away with that, right? So it was all turned around and the good was bad and the bad was good and, and they wanted to be like the bad instead of the good. And the second question is kind of tied to it. How come God isn't doing anything about it? Like, I thought he was on the throne. I thought he was real. I thought he did stuff. Like, how come they're getting away with it? And the the follow-up to that was kind of this. Well, if he isn't going to do anything about it, maybe we can get away with it also, right? And you just have that kind of human nature thing that says, well, they're getting away with it. Nothing's happened to them. Maybe we can try that too. And so they were uh, launching into things that they weren't supposed to launch into. And it really sets up the whole book of Malachi and, and what he's doing. Uh, we weren't able to delve into all this last week, uh, but the verses following give a strong rebuke to these two questions that Malachi has, and they, they set the table for what we're going to cover this morning. So let's pray, then we'll, we'll go into uh, Malachi chapter 3. Father, thank you for this book study. It's been awesome. There's been a real sense of you speaking. There's been a real sense of people wrestling uh, with... Uh, engaging with what you're saying and figuring out what that means to us. And we're going to come into some powerful things today of what Malachi lays out and a a huge theme in your word on the day of the Lord. And even just saying that sobers things. And so we, we give to you this. We ask for your help while we're here this morning as your children. We ask that you would help us process this whole picture and then what that means for us. And we give that to you with great hope and pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So we're going to be in Malachi. We're starting, in chap- we're starting chapter 3 now. We're in verse 1. And Malachi says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming says the Lord of hosts. So right off the bat in chapter 3, Malachi kicks off with something super exciting. And that is the coming of the messenger, the one who'd make the way of the Lord straight and the coming of the Lord himself. This phrase, my messenger, uh, if you follow it up in the New Testament, it's used in three of the four Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And twice when it's used, it's actually a direct quote from Jesus regarding John the Baptist. So when it comes to who the messenger is, it's clearly resolved in the New Testament. We are talking about John the Baptist, the herald. Make straight the paths of the Lord. The son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, Jesus' cousin. His identity is clearly defined. 
the forerunner, the herald of the coming of the Lord. And why is this so exciting? Because you have to understand when Malachi is saying this. When Malachi is saying this, this is 400 years before Jesus or John the Baptist ever showed up. Okay? Now, 400 years is a long time. To just give you an idea, we haven't even been a country yet for 250. All right? So if we're thinking 400, that's another 150 years on top of that. In our mind, that's a long time. That's a number of generations, a number of lifetimes that take place. But in the Lord's uh, way of thinking, that's, that's not a big deal. It's not, it's not that long. And um, I think what's important there, what looks slow to us isn't slow to God, right? And our timing usually isn't God's timing. You ever, you ever been sitting there with the Lord? Come on, get, let's get it going, right? And that's kind of where these people were that Malachi is talking to. You know, they had this attitude. Let's get this show on the road, right? Let's get it popping. Let's get moving. Some of you could relate to that, right? And we're, we're going to look at that viewpoint later this morning. But uh, to back up a little bit, the Expositor's Bible commentary also points out that the Lord whom you seek is an interesting phrase. Um, and why it's interesting is that in spite of their sin and their obvious challenge, right? The, those two questions we just went over in uh, verse 17, says they still long for his appearing. They knew of the prophecies. They knew there was supposed to be a Messiah. They knew there was an Elijah coming to announce the coming of the Messiah. Now, part of it though, the problem is why they want him to come. They want him to come so they could be back on top. Right? That, that was cool to them. They weren't thinking about what would happen when he came back and what that meant for them. There's always some surprises to that when the Lord actually shows up. And it says the Lord uh, who you seek will appear in his temple, will come to his temple. You know, if you think about it, Jesus did. He showed up in the temple as a baby when he was circumcised, eight days old. And he went to the temple for the yearly festivals. And so he's at the temple a number of times. As a matter of fact, one of the times he went AWOL, stayed at the temple, mom and dad went home, realized they forgot the kid, back somewhere in Jerusalem, had to go back and hunt him. Remember that story? And had to go find him. So he had an affection for the temple. And he visited the temple the last week of his life. So the truth is, the Lord did come to his temple. That also was prophesied 400 years before Jesus showed up. And Malachi uses all of this then to set in place something that's a huge theme in the Old Testament, which is the day of the Lord. Okay? It transfers over also uh, in the New Testament more as the coming of the Lord or the second coming. But here he's talking about the day of the Lord. And so let's look at that. In verse 2, it says, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. So Malachi is trying to get this picture to him of this is going to be a big deal. This is not something that you can resist with your natural energy. And Jesus, or Malachi mixes Jesus' first advent with his second advent. Advent's a fancy word for coming, right? So Jesus' first coming with his second coming. And here he highlights what this day of the Lord is going to look like. And he says, it's going to come, but who can endure it? It's going to be, uh, who can stand? Who can stand when, when that day actually comes? It'll be like a refiner's fire, like fuller soap. 
So basically, he's calling him out and saying, you want the day of the Lord? Really? You have no idea what you're asking for. Who's going to be able to stand when this thing actually happens? Uh, you can find this theme all over the Old Testament. Let me give you several illustrations that coincide with Malachi and Amos. The book of Amos, he says this in chapter 5, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into a house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? And Amos here is describing a tremendous time of testing. Right? We would say it's gone from bad to worse. Right? Guy runs from a lion, he meets a bear. You go in the house to hide and a snake bites you. It just keeps going downhill. Uh, some of us may have had times in our life where it felt like that. The Apostle Peter in his first book, 1 Peter, says this in chapter 4, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? See, they were, they were taunting. They were kind of like, bring it on. Come on, let's go. Really what they're saying, we don't think you're going to do it. Matter of fact, we don't think you're... Matter of fact, we think it's kind of hogwash and hooey. All this talk about you coming and all this, yeah, 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 whatever. It's gone on like this forever. It's never happened. It's certainly not going to happen in our lifetime, so we don't have to worry about it. You ever heard that postured today? Right? They were taunting. Malachi saying... Look, you don't have any idea what you're up against. You need to stop that. Very similar to, remember James and John? Remember that story in the New Testament where they came to Jesus and they said, hey, we have a request of you. And Jesus said, well, what is it? said, we want to be able to sit at your right hand and your left hand when you come in your glory. And Jesus says to them, are you able to drink from the cup that I'm going to drink? indicating the type of death he was going to die. And they said, yes, we can. Lots of bravado there, right? But remember, James and John were called the sons of thunder, okay? So they had some poofs to them, right? And they're going, yes, we can. We can do that. Jesus said, well, guess what? You will drink from the cup. But to give you the seat at my right or left, I can't because that's been set by the Father. I don't have the right to do that. James and John really didn't know. Now, later when you read their stories, both James and John died martyrs' death and they've totally understood at that point what it meant to drink from the cup that Jesus would drink from. Joel carries on the theme of the Lord quite a bit in the book of Joel. It says this, The Lord utters His voice before His army. For his camp is exceedingly great, and he who executed his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. And there's that phrase again. What's the phrase? Who can endure it? Who can endure the coming day of the Lord? Joel says that the Lord utters his voice before his army. This doesn't translate really well for us because we kind of like utter to us means mutter, right? Well, God's not muttering. Uh, if you, Paul calls it in 1 Thessalonians 4, the voice of command or the shout of the archangel. It is a loud call 
that comes like from a general in front of the army. And that's what uh, Joel is saying here. That his camp is exceedingly great. Talking about an incredibly powerful general in charge of an army and it's go time. And he gives the signal and the whole thing starts to move. The Apostle John, when he heard the Lord's voice in Revelation, said it sounded like a loud trumpet blast. Right? In other words, it was startling and shocking in terms of the force of it. And again, notice the admonition, the day of the Lord is very great. Who can endure it? Who can go up against that? Who can run against that thing? And the answer is really nobody. So let's come back to Malachi again and look at what he says. He says, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire or like a fuller's soap. Those are two illustrations used that would be very common for uh, people who lived in that era that Malachi was talking about and not so common to us. A refiner's fire, we sing that song, right? Refiner's fire. We, and it kind of sounds sort of pleasant to us, right? Like, oh, that's a wonderful thing. And, you know, purify me and and get everything out of me, and the intent of that's really good. But uh, when we speak of refiner's fire, we really don't know what we're talking about. And fuller soap was the kind of harshest soap that worked in the cloth that got the grittiest, worst, grease, gunk, junk out that you could get out, right? Kind of like a modern-day OxyClean, right? And so that, that was looking. So I was thinking about the problem with this message is it doesn't really, it's just words and it doesn't give an adequate picture of what that's like. So I want us to consider a refiner's fire, and I found a video. And in the video, what the video is about is a guy uh, cuts up a, a whole bunch of aluminum cans, right? Scraps them up and, and cuts them into little pieces. And then he puts them in a refiner's fire and, and processes the uh, aluminum. In the process, you'll see him take the dregs. You know, it often says God will get rid of the dregs, right? And then the pure gold or silver will be left refiner's fire you'll watch this guy actually take the dregs out and then you'll watch a pure bar of aluminum come out of that process so let's watch this together and then i'll come back up do you notice when he opened that thing up and notice that chalice and notice how hot that was you imagine being in the center of that okay that's what malachi is trying to describe when he says he will be a refiner's fire okay we're talking about anything impure gets driven out. That's what, that's what we're looking at here. But Malachi's not talking about a furnace. He's talking about a person. Right? He's talking about somebody who will show up and he will act relationally just like we saw in this video physically. Okay? He is going to come as a refiner's fire or like a fuller's soap. John's picture of the refiner. John had a picture of this in Revelation 1. In case you haven't noticed, I'll be using Revelation this morning. I finished reading through the Bible this week and I was in Revelation, right? So I'm pulling from all the stuff I just read, right? Anybody there with me, right? Very cool. It says this, he says, I turned. John was having a vision. He said he was caught up in the spirit. He said he heard a voice behind him. And he says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, like one, like the son of man, clothed in a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. 
Think of that inside of that chalice as you looked at that glow. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Right? Some of us have been to warmer climates where the heat of the sun is a lot more intense. Right? And we've walked down and gone, whoa, especially us white northern pale northwesters people right we go crispy really quick right some of us have been southern climates where in 10 minutes we are sunburnt going ah right and john's turning says his face was like the sun in the full strength of its shining imagine that eyes blazing right everything lit on fire like whoa and john who is jesus's best friend on the planet what is what does he say the next comment is the most significant Remember, he says, I turn. He says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. This is Jesus' best friend. He was not able to stand in front of the refiner's fire. The resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Not Jesus who hung on the cross. Not Jesus who was thrown in the grave. The Lord of glory who's coming back. He couldn't stand in his presence. Amos has a description of this in another part. Oops. There we go. It's right there. Behold, I will press you down in your place as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Again, this is a farming illustration. We don't get that too much, but if you've ever had a load of something, a trailer, right, and you pile a bunch of junk on it in the farm, you pile a lot of hay or stuff like that, the stuff on the bottom get pressed pretty good, right? God says, I am going to come and press down on you like sheaves, and if you're on the bottom, you're going to feel the pressure of that. You're going to feel the weight of that says, then he goes on to say this, Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand. He who is swift on foot shall not save himself. Nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty, that means strong of heart, champion, warrior, not afraid of anything. Ah, that kind of guy, right? says, he who uh, stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. We would call this passage, uh, the people who are experiencing this, a total meltdown. Right? Absolute systems failure. The whole thing is gone. Nothing's working. Nothing holds up. It's completely fried. And they're scrambling for their very lives because they don't know where to run to. Right? That's what Amos is describing right here. Malachi goes on to say this process of refining here. He will sit as a refiner in a purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring much, very much like that aluminum nugget you saw the guy make up there, right? That, that bar that he created. God says, I'm going to make a pure people for me. I'm going to make a people ready for my worship. And to do that, I'm going to have to refine them. I have to get rid of... Did you see how much dross was in that video? Wasn't that amazing? Right? And the question we'd have to ask this morning is, how much dross is in us? If God really applied the pressure and he applied the heat and he refined us, how much would be dross and how much would be the actual stuff you keep? That's what Amos Amos and Malachi are getting at here. 
Malachi goes on and says, you will refine them like gold and silver, like we just watched. That happened to be aluminum. Exact same process. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. And then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in in former years. In other words, God did not like the mess they were bringing to him. We saw this in Malachi 1. He said, you're cheating, you're cutting corners, you're ripping me off, you're giving me garbage. You Try giving that to your governor. Do you think he'd be happy? Why would you think I'm pleased with that? And God's going, that, that's just, it's all polluted. It, ah, we've got to clean this up. And so Malachi says he's going to come and he's going to come and he's going to refine. He says he's going to be a refiner and a purifier when he comes. Hebrews chapter 10 illustrates this in the New Testament, what Malachi is talking about in the Old Testament. In chapter 10, I don't have it on the screen, so you just have to read it. It says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward for you have need of endurance. Remember, we just came out of the book of James. If you're visiting, you won't know that, but you can go to the website and download it. We just did the book of James and the whole thing was what? Count it all join my brothers, when you count in various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith shall produce steadfastness or in other translation, endurance. Right? And we talked about this need for endurance and here Hebrews is saying, for you have need of endurance or steadfastness. There it is again. So that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Okay? And why can't we shrink back? Why must we endure? Why must we go through the refiner's fire? Why, why does that have to be a testing of our faith? Because everything's going to be tested by fire. That's what Scripture tells us. Look at 1 Corinthians, thir- uh, chapter, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It takes this farther. It says, No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Notice in that kiln, the stuff in the kiln, that fire and flame, that kiln was fine. Right? The foundation is fine. If you know the Lord Jesus, your foundation is fine. Foundations don't get burned up. What gets burned up? The house on top of the foundation. Right? So the foundation can't get burned up, but other stuff can. And Scripture is very clear about that, and we don't like it. But here's what it says. Now, if anyone lays on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. All right? So you've got two categories of stuff. You've got gold, silver, and precious stones over here. And then over here, you've got wood, hay, and straw. Right? And it says fire is going to be applied to that. Gold, silver, and precious stones, what happens when they get applied to fire? They get purified, right? They shine brighter. What happens when you apply fire to wood, hay, and straw? Right? Uh, if nothing else, the, the, the fires in California... Uh, and all over the place this summer should have told us how fast combustible fuel goes up. And it says that's a picture of what it's like when we come before the refiner's fire, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. He says each one's work, what we've done in our life, will be made manifest. In other words, it's going to become obvious. And it's, here's the point. It's not obvious right now. There's a lot of deceit in our world right now. 
There's a lot of scheming in our world right now. There's a lot of flat-out lying in our world right now. There's a lot of uh, perception distortion, right? We call it twist or spin. There's a lot of uh, posturing in, in our culture. And what this is saying is all that is going to come under the test of fire and is going to go up and smoke like this. And what's real, what's really real, is going to be made manifest or known. You'll be able to see it. It says, One's work will become manifest for the day, this day here is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test, test what sort of work each one has done If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. In other words, you're going to walk into heaven with your underwear on. Okay? Because you're not going to have nothing to show for it. And I didn't, that's, it's right there. See, I'm not, right? What it's saying is the foundation's not going to go away. If you're saved, that's great. But here's the thing, when the fire's applied to it, what's going to be left on top? Is there going to be anything to show for it? Have you done anything significant for Jesus by faith that will be gold and silver and precious stones? That's why we encourage us all the time to be walking in faith. That's why we encourage us to lead people to Christ. That's why we encourage us to be obedient. That's why we encourage us to surrender because it's going to really matter when that day comes. If we're doing all the other silly stuff in our culture, but goofing around, we may really know Christ, but when the fire's applied, it's not going to be good. We're going to experience shame. Not Jesus will shame us. We'll experience shame because we're going to look at the foundation. There's not going to be much there. And that's real. We may not like that, but that's real. I want to ask the guys, great place to stop and call for communion. Um, If you get ready in service communion, thank you so much. While they're doing that, let's continue with Malachi. Where does Malachi take this? He says this. He says, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. He says, You want to bring this on? You want to get this going? Then let's get this going. He says, I will bring this near for judgment. I will be swift witness against. So God says, I I will move rapidly. Okay? And when I start to move rapidly, nothing, nobody, no how, no way is going to stop it. Nothing can resist it. Nothing's going to be able to side, uh, divert it or sideswipe it. Nothing's going to be able to slow it down. I will move swiftly. The refiner fire is going to come. It says it's going to purge. It says I'll be a swift witness against sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who trust, thrust aside excuse me, the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Now what's important about this list is that this is the list that they were actually doing. Malachi is not listing off theoretical things that might be happening sort of someday, somehow somebody might hypothetically actually be doing these things, they had become very uh, synchronistic in their culture. Yeah, they were Jewish, and yeah, they worshipped Yahweh, and yes, they were, but they were bringing all this other stuff in as well. And it was all kind of piling in together, and a lot of it was things that the Lord spoke uh, very emphatically against. And you'll find the book of Ezra, the book of Nehemiah, the book of Hosea, and the book of Malachi all 
talking against this list. Okay? So it's a good thing it's an Old Testament problem, right? Well, is it an Old Testament problem? Let me take you to the book of Revelation. Here's the list in Revelation. Look at this list. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. That is the person who comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've washed their robes. How have they washed their robes? They've washed their robes in the blood of Jesus. In other words, what Jesus has done for them on the cross. Talk more about that in just a second. But it says they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Let's go back. Look at Malachi again. Look at that list. See it up there, right? Read those categories. Now look at the list. It's the same list. It's the exact same list. So a lot of people want to say, well, the God of the Old Testament is very different from the God of the New Testament. I don't know. The lists seem to be the same. What he's pointing out, what he's showing up there. What was Malachi after when he laid out this list? Oops, let me go back. Sorry, I went forward. What was Malachi after when he made this list? He was trying to get them to turn. He was trying to get them to turn back to the Lord. These are people who supposedly were true Jews, who had faith in Yahweh, who worshipped at the temple. And he was trying to get them to get rid of the dross. He was trying to say there's some things you're doing that are really gumming up the pipes. It's really making the thing filthy. It's making it impure to the point where I don't even want you to bring your gifts anymore. And you've got to let me work on you to get rid of the dross. You've got to let me come in such a way. And basically what God's saying is you can let me refine you now or you can let me refine you later. Right? That's what he's saying to us on a a day by day. Will you let me refine you? We call that sanctification. That is, will we listen? Will we be obedient? Will we submit ourselves to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ? Joel catches the heart of uh, what Malachi is trying to say here. He says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, a whole heart. Right? Isn't that true? If, you, if somebody loves you, don't you want them to love you with a whole heart? Hey, honey, I love you, but I have three other ladies on my list as well. Honey, you're the man of my life, but there's four other guys that are better looking than you. How well does that go over? Right? It doesn't. We all know what that feels like. We know what betrayal. We know what faithlessness looks like. When somebody loves us, we want them to love us with the whole heart. Would that strike us as any weirdness that God's the same? That he's not any different that way? that he wants us to love him with a whole heart. It says, Yet even now return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts, not your garments. In other words, get rid of the outward show. Let it work on a heart level. Return to the Lord your God for why? He's gracious and he's merciful. Slow to anger. I always like that. Abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. God doesn't want disaster for anyone. He doesn't, God says, I do not delight in the death of the wicked. I wish that everyone would come to faith in the Lord 
Jesus Christ. When we come to communion, we have a problem sometimes, I think, in the fact that um, we still see Jesus on the cross or we still see Jesus in the grave. And if he's risen, he's risen, but he's kind of like a ghost-like figure that we can't really identify with. What is it going to be like when this refiner returns? Okay, This refiner of souls, what's that going to look like? In Revelation 19, it reads like this. Think about this as we come to, to communion because communion says we should examine ourselves, right? It says this, I, I, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse. And his mouth, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread, and this is one of the scariest verses in all of Scripture, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Let me read that to you again. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. We know that verse. We know that verse is a song. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And he's trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. Right? And the song's going in your head. Should have been our national anthem. Right? He's talking about the refiner's fire. This is the refiner's fire that Malachi is talking about. It says, And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lord. And that's why people say, ah, oh, that's just that old hellfire and brimstone. Actually, it's the current hellfire and brimstone. It's the reality. That unless we come under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are destined for that refiner's fire in the wrong way. We're going to come against him as an enemy, not as a friend. And that's why Scripture says, run to him, flee to him. Go to the Lord Jesus and come under His propitiation. That's a big word. You know what it means? Covering. In the Northwest, we call it an umbrella. Right? Come under His umbrella. Now, the problem with that illustration in the Northwest is anybody who uses an umbrella is a wimp. Right? Come on, you can laugh at that. It's okay. Here we go. But in the reality is, if, if you want to stay dry, you get an umbrella, right? You come under the covering. Well, we're not talking about a covering for rain. We're talking here a covering for fire. The way you come under the covering for fire is you come under the covering of the refiner. You come unto, into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called the sinner's prayer. You've probably heard it, but this is the context for it. Lord Jesus, there's a gap here that I cannot jump. And if I can't jump it, I'm going down into those flames. I do not want to go into those flames and I realize I'm not okay with you. I've done some sinful things. I've got a lot of dross in my life. And I can't make it to you. I need somehow for you to bridge the gap to me because I can't make it to you. And that's where we say you pray a prayer. Really, it's you humble yourself before God. You come under His authority and you say, you know what, I quit, I surrender. You're the Lord, not me. You're going to be the one who refines everything, not me. You're going to refine me, I don't refine you. Better way we say is we don't define you. 
right? As we understand in our culture. I need you to come into my life. I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me of my sins because I recognize without that, I'm not going to make it. That's called the sinner's prayer. That's called fleeing to Jesus for eternal safety. That's called avoiding the refiner's fire by coming under it willingly and letting it heal you instead of destroy you. For those of us who already know him, it's saying, hey, quit messing around. Quit goofing off. Quit fooling. Quit wasting time. There's a reason why we always encourage each other to stay with the faith because it's easy to forget. This feels a long way away. This revelation thing. You know, we've been doing this now for what, 2,000 years? Yeah, yeah, Paul and Peter, they all thought he was coming in their age too. That was 2,000 years ago. Everything's going the same as it's always gone. Nothing's ever going to change. It's a bunch of hogwash and smoke and mirrors. We really don't have to worry about it. Let's just eat, drink, and be merry because it's a great time. And Scripture says, no, no, no. No, 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 no. You're a believer. You've got a foundation in Jesus Christ. You better be building some solid stuff. Like you need to be in the Word and you need to pray and you need to be leading people to Christ and you need to be doing works of service and you need to be mostly, more than anything, not works because you'll get somewhere, cooperating with Him and letting Him build in you stuff that's permanent stuff so when your foundation undergoes fire, there'll be all kinds of stuff left on the foundation. Go, oh, Jesus, you're awesome. Because guess what you're going to do with that stuff? Guess what you're going to do with the, the gold and the, and the silver and the precious? You're going to throw it back at the feet of Jesus. You say, Lord, I didn't do that. You, you helped me do that. That wasn't me. That was you. And we're going to throw it at his feet in worship. If we've got just the foundation, uh, uh, I got you, Lord. I don't have anything to show for it. Thank you that I at least got you. But can you see how that goes? And therefore, Scripture says we need to be obedient. We need to flee to Jesus. We need to come under His covering. And we need to turn away from our sin and come back to Him. Now, when we come to communion, one of the problems of communion is the way a picture is set. So when we take the bread, we say, well, this is His body. It's broken for you, right? It's... That's true. But when we talk about him coming back as the refiner's fire, we are not talking about Jesus will be broken. He will not be broken. He will be totally whole. And he will be king of kings and lord of lords. And so Jesus is saying, hey, there was a time when I was broken for you. That's what I provided so you don't have to come under my wrath. I provided a way, he said, the way is through what I did for you on the cross. I died on the cross for your sins. I rose again. My body was broken for you, so you knew I wouldn't use my power against you. You can trust me. Flee to me, is what he's saying. And what does it say? We're to eat that in memory of him. right? When it comes to the cup, Jesus says something very fascinating. He says, I will never drink this again until when? I'll never drink of the fruit of the vine until I return. When he returns, it's the refiner's fire. When it's that time, it won't be his blood that's shed. It'll be somebody else's blood that's shed. He will come back as the Lord and the King and the conqueror. And Jesus is saying, know who I am. 
Come under my protection. Come under my propitiation that I provided for you. He says, drink this in memory of me. Two things. If you do not know the Lord, the great and awesome, awesome claim of the church is this. You can. You can be saved. You can ask Him into your life. You can repent of your sins and you will be forgiven. And you will have eternal life. If you're a believer, the great and awesome claim is you can cooperate with Him and He will clean you up. You don't have to clean yourself up. He'll clean you up. All you have to do is cooperate with Him. It's this simple. Lord Jesus, what's one thing you'd like me to clean up this week that's dross in my life? And if you're a believer, I guarantee you, you will hear an answer to that. Okay? If you're always going to God, why, 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 how come, how come, you won't hear anything. But if you come and say, God, what am I supposed to do and how am I supposed to do it? You will hear a very clear voice. God, this week, what's dross in my life? Help me clean that up. Let me cooperate with you. Let me take it seriously as something that you're saying is something you and I got to work on together.